Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 300 speaker files, links for you to subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to, wel- like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Matt. Uh, my name is Matt, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Amen. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I have five years of abstinence. I'm down 160 pounds from my top weight. I used to weigh 340 pounds. Um, I was thinking about like about the title "Light a Candle." And, like, why? Where did that title come from? Like, "Light a Candle," meaning like, why that? And and like, I guess like the artsy person, I'm like, all I'm thinking is like, as long as there's just like a flicker of hope, like as I'm so desperate. I'm so desperate to not come outside. There's so much shit going on in my life right now. Um, I'm so desperate that as long as there's a flicker of hope, I can stay abstinent. And that's why I go to meetings, and that's why I call people, and that's why I sponsor, and that's why I stay abstinent, because the hope just, like, constantly builds on itself. And, like, the reason why, like... I was like, why am I so nervous tonight? Like, I share a lot, and I don't get nervous like this. And, and like, the thing is, is I've been with my wife for seven years, and I've been abstinent for five years. And this is the first time I'm speaking where um, my wife and I have been married for a year and a half, and she's been in program with me, and um, uh, we're, we're separating. And this is the first meeting that I'm leading that it's about me being here, knowing that I'm not going home to anybody but myself. And that's new, and that's different, and it's scary. And at the same time, this program has taught me that anything that is uncomfortable is meant to build me and to help get me closer to my higher power. This program has taught me that the whole point of being uncomfortable is not for me to eat. The whole point of me being uncomfortable is so that I can stop and say, all right, what can I do differently? So I can say, all right, God, rather than me try to figure it out, God, what, what can I do? Because I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. August 1st, I'm going to be on my friend's couch. And I haven't thought past that. You know? But the difference is, is, as crazy as that sounds, and as uncomfortable as it sounds, this program has taught me that, for me and my experience, that is turning my life over to God. That is me making a decision. When I decided to stop eating certain foods, that was me making a decision to turn my life over to God. Because before that, the only thing that solved my problems and solved all the craziness was the eating. And it was the food. You know, like... I don't talk in this program, like, I don't talk much in my shares about, like, the way I was raised, because I feel like, for me, when I was new, I used all that, all that as an excuse to, I cuss a lot, so this is really going to be hard not to cuss. <laughs> um, I think the last time I shared it, they probably had to cut half of it out. Um, The food is easy. The food is an easy solution. Because it's there, it doesn't talk back to you, you do whatever you want with it. You know, it's like you can have sex with it and then it'll go home in the morning. You know, it's like, it'll just go. You know, but the whole point for me, it's like, I don't talk much about my family stuff here because the thing is, when I was new and even before program, that is why I ate. That's why I was a victim and I had every reason to eat. You know, but the whole point is, is because I've worked this program I, and I work the steps continuously and I'm always, new things are always coming up, I don't eat over my family today. I can say, God bless them. 
God bless them. I may act out, I may get angry, I may cuss, but I'm not eating over it. And the whole point is me at 340 pounds is not a, is not a helpful human being. It's just not. Me and my food, I'm not much use to anybody or myself. And, um, you know, like, I'll just, like, this is going out to the world, so I'll just, um, uh, if this will help anyone who's new, when I, I came, I come from an alcoholic household. My dad's an alcoholic. Andy was a minister. Explain that one to a kid growing up. <laughs> Having to have this great idea of how you're supposed to look on the outside, but at home there's dishes baking and there's people getting hit or people being yelled at. You know, my brother was six years older than me. My dad never beat me. And so I used to feel like, why do I feel like I'm relating to all these people who talked about getting abused growing up? But like, the whole point is my brother was six years older than me. He kind of raised me. And he was very he was very violent and very, very angry. And um, then I have a younger brother, so I was the middle kid, which we all have complexes if you're the middle kid to begin with. And, you know, my younger brother was two years younger than me and bipolar and had all these problems. And, you know, my mom is your classic Al-Anon trying to solve my dad's problems and solve his alcoholism. And so, you know, for me, it's like I had my, I had it together. I wasn't, I, I never went to jail like my brothers. I never was in a mental institution. I'm the only one out of the five of us who's never been institutionalized. <laughs> really. Um, <laughs> maybe I should be, though, you know. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure there's plenty of reasons to put me there, but I've escaped that one. Um, my mom went to the hospital for al which I don't understand that. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the whole point is, is like I was so self-righteous and thinking, you know what, I'm not using drugs, I'm not in jail, I'm doing good in school, I'm going to college, and I have it together. And I'm 340 pounds. And I was so self-righteous, and I had, I, I knew, I knew, like, I thought I had it lit, I thought I had everybody lit, and I'm going to tell you about you because I got my shit together, and I'm going to tell you why you do what you do, and I'm going to just, I'm going to let you know about yourself. And the whole point is, is like, that was, the whole thing is, I knew I was crazy. When I went to college, like, I had lost weight in high school, and I was chewing and spitting food out, and every time I ate a cookie when I didn't want to, I would, you know, I was like, God, I ate the cookie, I ate, then I'd go and I'd exercise for an hour, and then, I mean, I knew the calories, and I did all that stuff, and it's like, I, it was insane. It's like I, I don't know why I brought this, but this was a, a journal that I had back in high school, and um, I never really finished writing in it. But when I did write in it, it says. Um, like, this is when I was starting to go to the gym. I said, I can be so lazy and stupid sometimes. Well, I've decided that I'm going to start getting up and going to the gym before school. I'm also going to work my work hard to eat right. I have to eat right. I'm coming so close to getting back to my old weight when I was thin. All I can do is ask God for the strength and do it. Well, I, I haven't followed through. This is the next day. Well, I haven't followed through with any of my promises. Every day I say I'll get up early. But here's the thing. It's like, when you wake up every day of your life, every day of your life, and you're like, tomorrow I'll do it, tomorrow I'll do it, tomorrow I'll do it. Then you wake up that next day and you're like, why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? The big book talks about incomprehensible demoralization. That's what that is. Because every day I'm waking up and I'm telling myself I'm a failure. Because I've set these expectations of myself that I can't live up to. But the big book talks about an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. What does that mean? That means that I am not like a normal person when it comes to food. For You have the alcoholic who has to stay sober. For me, I'm a compulsive overeater. I have to stay abstinent. Abstinence for me is food sobriety. Nothing more, nothing less. I don't screw around with my abstinence. I'm abstinent. Is it perfect? No. But I know when I'm screwing around with food and when I'm not. You know? I will say that. And the whole thing is like, to wake up every day and to feel like you're a failure. 
and to wake up 340 pounds and to go to school in seventh grade and have everyone poke you and, and call you the Pillsbury Doughboy or to have them grab your man boobs or to, to do all these things that no one deserves to have done to them. You know, like, it, you get complexes growing up. The whole point is, is like, this is all just stuff from my past that, like, I work through on my inventories and, and you deal with. You know, I'm going to way all over the place. Um, what happened to me was, like, I came in, I moved out to L.A., and I thought my life was going to happen the way I wanted it to. I thought I'd get the job I wanted. I thought all that stuff. And, you know, L.A. is not good to people when they first move here. I don't think anyone's had a good... <laughs> <laughs> L.A. is like that bad first date. You're like, I don't think I could go on that date again. But I'm, <laughs> but I'm stuck here now. And, and I cried on a job interview. I was like... <laughs> But, but, like, it sounds funny, but I was hitting my bottom. I would pay $10 to go park on CityWalk, and I would go to every restaurant in there. Every restaurant. And just binge. You know, it's like, the whole thing is, like, we co I come into these rooms so I can hear how crazy I am. I don't come into these rooms to hear how everyone's got it all together, because that's not why I need to stay. I need to stay because if I go out there and I forget you guys exist, I'll just go right back to the same old stuff. You know, so when I came out here, I had I had free housing through my school for a while, and I was helping out the school, and I was looking for a job, and I only I knew to buy something told me to buy a one way plane ticket. Even even then, something was working in my life, and I did it, and I bought a one way plane ticket, and then when I was out here, and I couldn't find a job, and my free housing was ended, I had my rental car, and then my, I was in my rental car, and I had a hotel room. And I still had enough money for another day's hotel room, but the money was fix but the food was fixing it. So I was spending the money that I needed to use for shelter on food. Like the thing is, it's like you know we make this discrepancy between compulsive overeater and alcoholic and this and that. But the point is, is like I will choose food over my own well-being. I will choose that feeling that I get when I eat. I will choose that high. It's a high. It's nothing more than I get so high. I know what to eat to put me to sleep. I know what to eat to wake me up. I know what to eat to make me not hear you. You know. And I know what to give you so you won't talk to me. <laughs> you know, like that's, you know, or we'll just eat it together. You know, let's just, <laughs> you know, I'm manipulative. I know how to get what I want because that food is so powerful that that need and that want to escape reality because reality can be so painful. You know? So I was in a hotel room, and I started to go into program. I called someone, and I said, um, I knew about programming because my dad had gotten, he stopped drinking, and he had gone to AA, but he never really worked the program, so I, I knew what a dry drunk looked like. I just knew he was angry all the time, but I knew that there was something about 12 steps. So I, for whatever reason, I don't even know, I don't even remember hardly making the call, but I remember calling and saying, you know, what do I... Saying, well, you know, what do I need to bring? Do I need to bring anything? She goes, no, just bring yourself and know you're giving yourself the greatest gift you could ever give yourself. I think I'm emotional today because, like, everything I'm going through now is because of all these experiences I had early on in this program that gave me the gift of knowing that I'm going to be okay through anything I go through now and that anything I go through now because I stayed absent then I've gotten to see the experience of going all the way through and knowing I'm okay that's why like they say abstinence is the most important thing without exception 
not because, for me, for this is my experience, not because abstinence is the most important thing, but because the experience of staying abstinent through heavy shit is what it's about. That's the gift. That's why I stay abstinent. You know? So I started going to meetings and I got a sponsor and I did exactly what he told me to do. I did exactly what his food plan was. I didn't care. I just needed, I needed to not be thinking about the food. And basically I got abstinent and I got a job in an apartment within like two weeks. And I didn't have to go on the streets. That's what my compulsive overeating bottom was going to mean. It can happen, man. Put me in a room with a bunch of drug addicts or alcoholics. I fit right in. You know? That's my experience. You know, I didn't get up to 340 pounds for no reason. You know, I'm now an Al-Anon and working that thing. And, you know, I, I have a hard time talking about the stuff I went through growing up. Because I'm like, yeah, but they did the best they could. Yeah, but, you know, they, you know, I love them. Or, yeah, but it doesn't bother me anymore. He goes, it's not about blame. You know, and so I'm learning to to actually look at things I went through, but not point, but to look at it as an experience that I went through and to see how it is that it forms me the way I am. You know, if you're new, you just keep coming back. You can think we're crazy. You may not like anything I say, but if I make you angry, that should make you want to come back and prove me wrong. <laughs> You know what? If you don't like what I have to say, come next week and find a better speaker. And then you can say, that asshole last week, he was really bad. <laughs> I challenge you. Because you know what? I know a lot of newcomers who come in here and they have all these questions. And my thing is, is it working for you now? Is what you're doing working for you? I, I have a sponsee who is in this room and he'll remain nameless. But one day he made the comment, goes, you're cocky. And I didn't know what to say back to him. I didn't say anything back to him. And, and I realized what it, what it was. And it didn't bother me because I, I, I think I can come across that way. But <laughs> when, it, when it comes to the program, when it comes to, when it comes, not my program, it's the program of Overeaters Anonymous. I am confident that if I'm willing to go to any length that I can recover. Because the big book says that. And if I can give anyone that gift of sharing my experience, then I hope you can be as cocky as I am. Um... Because I'm not cocky. I'm actually the most insecure person in your life. Yeah. <laughs> Before the meeting, I'm in the bathroom looking in the mirror and like, can you see what I look like? All that crap. You know, step two came to, you know, step one, we admit we're powerless over food and our lives become unmanageable. You know, it's like my life became unmanageable because I was trying to manage it all. Step two, came to believe in a power greater than myself that can solve my problems. The way that worked for me is I came in these rooms and I met people who lost hundreds of pounds and they were maintaining it. That to me is coming to believe in a power greater than myself. You know? I learned to find God in these rooms. I learned that there are people in here who, who went through life experiences and they didn't have to eat over them. You know, step three, made the decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. It's like, I don't, like, I have a hard time philosophically understanding steps one, two, and three, and, 
and all that stuff. But my whole thing is like one thing they said is every one when you don't believe, believe that others believe. That's what people told me when I was doubting things in my life. Um, and then the answer is always in the next step. So if I'm powerless, then I need to come to believe in something bigger than myself. And then, okay, I've kind of come to believe in something bigger than myself, so what am I supposed to do with that? All right, maybe I need to make a decision to let that thing that I now believe in work in my life somehow. All right? And, like, for me, it's like so much of this is about about learning to... Learning to... Oh, wait, it's so fluffy, but I think it's true. Like, it's, it's about learning to love yourself, you know? It's like step three, made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Like, okay, to the care of God. I'm going to turn my life over to something else, trusting that it trusting that it will have my best interest at heart. So the whole idea that if I've handed my life over to something loving, and the thing is, is like one thing I do, like you guys are not my God, but you guys have experiences better than my own. So I can at least turn, I can at least, I turn, I turn my trust over to the program. And then you know what my sponsor said: if someone's telling you what to do and they're giving you advice rather than their experience, you ask them what is your experience with that. And he said, and if they say they don't have anything, you can walk away. <laughs> You know? And I, when I talk to sponsees, I try to always come from what is my experience. And if I can't, I try to frame it around my experience. And if I don't, I'm like, you know what? Let me give you somebody's number who may be able to help you. Because I'm not the one to help you with this. You know? But let me know what they say, because chances are I'll come across this problem at some point in my life. Um, so the whole thing, like, I, so then, you know, step three, made a decision. So what does that mean? How can I, how, these steps, it's a, it's a spiritual program. So how do I manifest how do I manifest this program in a, in a physical way? I have to manifest spirituality in a physical way so that I can go out there and live this program. You know, in step four, we made, a, we made an inventory. You know, this whole idea of, you know, made a searching and fearless moral inventory. The whole idea that if I turn my life over to something bigger than myself that loves me, or even the program with people who, who generally want my best interest at heart because they're living this too, then you know what, man? I can be fearless. My inventory was like 50 pages long, and when I gave it away, I had my dog on there, I had my bird, I had this kid, I had this kid on there. Listen, this one, this was actually one that I was, I really had to argue with my sponsor about because I wanted to write him a letter and he didn't. In fifth grade, there was this kid sitting next to me, and I farted and I blamed it on him. <laughs> and I remember telling my, I was like, I really think I should write him a letter. <laughs> I came into the program when I was when I was 22, so I was I was younger than a lot of the other people in, I was around. So my inventory is a little more juvenile. <laughs> but I, I I was like I really think I should write him letter because I don't think you need to. I think he's forgotten about <laughs> I didn't write him a letter, but. Um. <laughs> but the whole point is like I'm sharing this with you guys because like this is how stupid we get like this is what it's like to me like this is what it's about like it's not about how it's not about how great I am it's not about it's not even about how well I work the program it's about how like I work the program and I stay abstinent no matter how stupid I look or how crazy I get or maybe when I tell someone to F off and I stay abstinent and then I learn how to go back and clean it up like it's really about living you know, and like right now, I'm living through separating from my wife, and and like I don't know, I don't know what this looks like. Like I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And now it's like people, you know, my response is, "You have five years. You could pray and meditate." And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to pray and meditate. Um, 
So I, I did my inventory, and, I, and I, I put everything down on paper my whole life. I talked about how I got touched inappropriately growing up. I talked about I talked about how you know my mom treated me. I talked about how um, my brothers treated me. I talked about my teachers. I talked about things that I did sexually, being 340 pounds. And let's just acknowledge that there's a lot of issues that we have for 100 pounds. I mean, I think anyone body image and sex. I'm sorry, they go hand in hand. So ignore that in a way, man. You know, can't ignore that. Um, and my sex inventory was long, and I've only had sex with one person. <laughs> Can't believe I just said that. Um, I don't know. Right? Um, this would be like the lighted candle speakers girl. He's like mad at three years, mad at five years. Um, not much change. Um, and so when I gave it the whole point for me is like this program is about allowing myself to meet people and about having experiences you know when I say it's about having experiences like I'm so I'm so tired I'm so tired of not living my life you know I'm so tired of not having a life like I was dead I was 340 pounds and all I did was obsess about the food and even when I got abstinent the first two years when I'm when I was at a healthy body weight all I was concerned about was food and my image and how I looked you know, but I stayed abstinent, you know, and I cried about it, and I talked to my sponsor about it, and I was in a job I didn't like for four years before I was able to leave it, you know, and when I gave away my inventory, um, the experience for me was he, my sponsor was a hardcore Catholic, and I'm not, and we went down before his church service on Sundays, and we would meet outside a church in Santa Monica, and everyone knew when I was giving away my four-step, because when I would come back to my home meeting, I had, like, sunburn on one side of my face. <laughs> and, and it took me, like, a month to give my inventory away. And you know what? Like, I got reparented through that. Like, you know, there were things that I said that happened, and my sponsor was like, well, if I did that to you, would I still be your sponsor? And I said, no, no. He goes, well, then, you know, your family members shouldn't have done that to you either. You know, so I got to learn how to how to look at my life without adding on more resentment, you know, an honest appraisal of my life. And the whole point is, like, for me about the inventory, it's like we make a certain, you know, it's the big book talks about we, we take we take stock of the truth. Like, it's he's talking about it as if, you know, Bill is this business guy, and he's talking about we take inventory. Like, a business takes inventory. Why does a business take inventory? But to get rid of what's not working. But the whole point, like, take that a step further. It's like, why does this business have to take inventory? Why do I have to take inventory about what's working and what's not? And the only answer I can have is, is because I have something to offer. I have something to offer. And I don't know what that is. But I can help someone else. I can, I can go out there with the desires of my heart and pursue my dreams and live my life. A business is there to offer a service. And if, if he's com- and to me, I was like, well, if he's comparing it to that kind of an inventory, then that means that there is something that I can provide to this world. And what I have to do is do my part and clean up what's not working. You know? And now step six and seven, which are like the... Uh, what is it? Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character and humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. I mean, for me, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these short defects of character. I mean, when you sit down, you read your inventory, and then you have your part of everything, you're just like, oh, yeah, please, like, I can't live with this. But, like, you do. You still live with I still live with these character defects, you know? And I have to hit bottom with them. 
you know? I just came around on my second... This is how the program works for me. I, I'm doing my, I just gave away my second fourth step. And my part in a lot of these things, you know, my sponsor is like, it's not cut and dry, but like for me, a lot of the things that were my part was how dependent, like I acted out on people or I did this or I did that was because of my dependence. I have so much dependence on other people. My first inventory, it wasn't about that. It was about my fear. It was about this or about that. But like this, it came about how dependent I was on all these people. And then it's ironic that two months later, I'm getting separated from my wife. And I didn't ask for it. We went into that therapy session, and what came out was not the future I thought was going to happen. But it, we both made the choice. It wasn't like one of us said this or one of us said that. It was honestly just, I feel like, what is, what is supposed to happen? But that, to me, is the program working in my life. The program, to me, is when, is when I have to accept what's happening in my life and not take action on what I think is going to happen, but focus on what can I do today? What is my behavior today? You know? That's what, that's what it's... What can I do today to help my recovery? You know? And seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. I mean, for me, it's like... Sometimes I may be in the middle of the incident where I'm about to tell someone off and I don't. And I'm like, God, hold me back. That is humbly asking him to remove my shortcoming. I just don't think there's a timetable to it. You know? Made a list of all persons we harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. So I made the list based off my inventory. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so and injure them or others. My sponsor's like, you are not going to do this alone. And we're going to do it together. So my sponsor had me sit down, and I, he had me write a letter to each each person. And he goes, and you'll read the letter to them, you know. Or he said strongly suggested that this is how I do it. You know, we don't tell each other what to do, but it's kind of like if you want what I have and are willing to go to any length, you just shut up and you do it. Anything was better. Anything is better than my first thinking, you know. And um, the way we outlined the letter, he goes, you know. It's like even when we're in a meeting, one minute on the problem and two minutes on the solution. So for me, it was like one minute on like, okay, this is what I did. I apologize. And then this is why I'm grateful you're in my life. And they're short. And they're like a paragraph, maybe two paragraphs. And those were the letters that I read to these people. And what I did was I went home. I, I was fully self-supporting. I had paid for my own plane ticket. I paid for a rental car. I stayed with my grandmother. And I went and met each of my family members, and I, and I made amends to them. And to get to have the experience of, you know, my mom, she's like, can I keep the letter? I was like, no, you can't keep the letter. <laughs> Re- read my letter to my dad, and he broke down crying, and he was apologizing for his alcoholism. I said, Dad, you don't have to apologize. It's not your fault you're an alcoholic. That, those, you have to do the work to have those moments. Because I can't, I can't force moments like that. He wanted to keep the letter. I said, no, you can't keep it. <laughs> I made him as my little brother. who was just like, yeah, I get it, you know. Good for you. I think you owe me some money. <laughs> <laughs> so I paid him back. Um... And then my older brother, I couldn't find anywhere. Both my brothers have been, you know, dealing with drugs and stuff like that and really heavy into drugs. And um, I couldn't, my brother, I kept trying to call him and I couldn't find him. And my time was running up and I had to get back to the hotel room and, or back to the airport and everything. And, and then um, I, was, 
I'm not sure if I was on the way to the airport or what, but I knew he worked at he worked at the airport, and um, I happened to catch him, and I had my letter, and when I saw him, I could tell he was pretty coked out, but he was there, and I knew like I just had to do my part. I just had to do my part. I said, Chris, just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. And I read him the letter, and I saw his eyes, and I said, you can keep the letter. <laughs> um, and the thing is, it's like, I'm not this self, I'm not this great person. I'm not. I'm a compulsive reader who would rather eat, and I'd rather tell you what to do and cuss you out than have to deal with myself. Even at five years, I'm not this great person. I have a part in the fact that my wife and I are separating. I'm not a great guy. You know? She's going to deal with shit from my marriage that I caused. You know? But when I got on that airplane and I went home, like, the whole the program is about, it's about, for me, it's about having a spiritual experience. And, like, you can't force it, you know? But, like, I remember being on that plane and I looked over the Grand Canyon, like, when we were driving over and, like, the thought occurred to me. It wasn't me, like, patting myself on the back like the thought came to me like Matt you did good like Matt you did good and that to me is what making amends and like living a good life is about so I got to have this great spiritual experience and and then you know step 10 continue to take personal inventory and when we're wrong promptly admit it that's saying okay you just had this great moment don't screw it up for yourself you know like that's what step 10 means to me keep it clean you know, and sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. Like, I struggle with that, man. You know, I struggle with that because it's like, I get up in the morning, I feel like I have to go. I thought I was having a heart attack the other morning when I woke up. My heart was pounding so hard, you know. And then somebody told me, like, one one of my, like, 10-step sponsors, that listening to somebody else is meditating. Because if you're not thinking about yourself, because <laughs> that's, that's good enough. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. That tells me my sponsor, when I was feeling like I can't have a life or what if I have to do this rather than go to a meeting and like how do I balance life with program? He goes, that whole point of step 12 is to say you have a life. You go out there and you carry the message because we are the message. That's what the literature says. So that means I get to go out there and I get to be of service to the people in my life. Whether I'm working at my coffee shop job and this girl's having trouble and I listen to her problems and then I don't tell her what to do but I share my experience. You know? Or when I ask a customer how they're doing. You know? There's been times where I've had to say, okay, I can't go to this meeting because I have this work thing. Or, oh, I have a friend that wants me to go here. You know, my sponsor taught me, like, that's okay. You know, we tried to carry the message to others. You know, practice these principles in all our affairs. And the whole point of having a spiritual awakening, every time I abstain, that is a spiritual experience. Because I am a hopeless case, man. The thing is, you know, we have all these billboards with all these diets on it, but none of them tell you how to maintain it. None of them. None of them tell you how to maintain it. You know... I talked to sponsees about food and I remember my conversations about food and I thought I was giving up everything when I got abstinent because there are certain foods I don't eat, you know. One thing my sponsor said, he goes, abstinence is just the beginning. Abstinence is just the beginning. You know, I left that full-time job. My sponsor read We Agnostics to me all the way to work the day that I decided to quit. He goes, so are you going to turn your life over to God or are you going to keep trying to annoy me with talking about how much you hate your job all the time? 
<laughs> and I quit my job. And, you know, I'm pursuing my creative career. I'm not making money at it. I'm broke. And now I'm living on a friend's couch. I got to work on this amazing project for the past month. And if I take out my judgment of everything, I'm living my dream. And the truth is, I was feeling alone in my marriage. And my biggest fear is, is being alone. And this program has taught me that alone is a choice. You guys are my friends. You guys are my family. I don't feel comfortable calling my family right now. I can't. They can't help me with this. <laughs> so my mom, I was separated from my wife. She goes, oh, we've never been through this before. I'm like, we aren't going through nothing. I'm the one who's separated from <laughs> <laughs> and then I need a lawyer you know it's like I can't talk I can't do this um, people here are willing to give me the one thing they can't ever get back and that's their time and you know what I don't know I don't hang out with people in program I'm so scared to open up to you guys because I don't want to get too comfortable and I finally when all this stuff went down I was sitting at a Starbucks and I called my one friend Colleen and I was like, hey, just want to let you know I'm going to be at the Starbucks this on, like, Ventura and, you know, whatever. Like, if you just want to, like, you know, stop by and say hi, I'll be there. I could not just say, will you come sit with me? And I was on the phone with my sponsor, and she showed up, and she just sat with me. Like, what a good life. What a good, good, good life. I don't have everything I want. I don't have the six-pack that I want, you know. Now I'm going to be single. I hope I can get a lot of women, you know. It's like <laughs> all this insecure stuff's coming up. Life is happening. And you know what? I get to live it. I get to live it abstinently. And I pray to God. I pray to God. I pray to God. Please just let me stay abstinent through all this. Don't let me get cocky. Don't let me think that I'm doing this. Because I'm not. I'm really not. You guys give me this gift. You know? And the only way I can keep it is by remembering what it was like. That's all I can do. So, I guess I'm, I'm done if you all want to ask me questions. <laughs> Um, how about that prayer meditation? What do I do? <laughs> I could ask you the same question. Um, when I on a when I was new, I just needed to get the tapes out of my head, like my old like whatever my head. You're a piece of crap. You're a piece of crap. All that negative, negative, negative. Fear, 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 fear. All that just stuff. And I read so much spiritual literature. A lot of it was even outside literature. I could I didn't understand prayer meditation. The simple thing is prayer is talking to God and meditation is listening to God. I keep it that simple. And what I try to do, try means to see my sponsor, but try doesn't mean anything. Don't try, do, you know. So when I do my meditation, I sit down for five minutes and I set the alarm and I listen to God. And I, try, and I work to read two pages a day from the big book. And I, I did, I read so much outside literature. Anything that was better than what my head was telling me. Anything, you know. That's... And I'm working on the prayer meditation. One of my sponsors now is really big on that, and it's good. He's pushing me to do it, you know. 
I was fortunate that my dad being a minister, like I grew up talking a lot about philosophy with him. But I think for me, I God was with me even before program. You know, like I went to orientation my freshman year of college and when I was on the train back to my grandparents' house, the woman I happened to sit next to was the financial aid counselor at the office and she said, give me your social security number. I'm like, I'm not going to give you my social security number. But I did. She got me a job at the financial aid office and I left school with one year of loans rather than four because I worked there and they knew me. And like, I knew, I was like, this is too good to be true, you know? Like, I... I I needed life was so bad that I needed to believe I needed I had to see some good somewhere you know so like I I kind of always there was that sense of something and I think this program cemented it for me like for me I look at these steps and it frames everything for me because it's so simple it's not doctrine it's not Jesus or Buddha or this it's just a power greater than myself you know if I'm concentrating on a chair, I'm not concentrating on my problems. Mm-hmm. You know? That's, if that makes sense. Can you the oh, yeah. What, what do I, what's my experience with step two and three? Yeah, but that's kind of yeah sorry, sorry. sorry. Somebody, when you have to make amends, Promptly and without regret. Um, I usually talk to my sponsor first. If it's something that I really have to clean up, it's like, okay, I really screwed up here. What do I need to do? Oh, we'll talk after.